Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do. No, we don't. A donkey's eating. A donkey's eating palace. There's nothing else to eat. He was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, spit. But I burst out laughing. Much <laughs> so what a win for Waterford. I'm glad I have Michael Carton back on the show because I'm the only one that tipped him uh, last Thursday. I don't often get to brag about this, uh, <laughs> uh, Mick. But like, I mean, Jesus, like, I mean, the, by... Easily, I thought the better team. Oh, they were brilliant, Willie. Uh, I knew you'd bring this up, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> no, I knew I, I thought it'd be close, but uh, no, I, I didn't think the match was, was close in, 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 in the end. I thought Waterford were unbelievable from start to finish. Um, obviously, Tip tracked them back towards the end, but I think that was more Waterford taking the foot off the gas a little bit, but yeah, some, some display. It was an absolutely brilliant display. Like Liam Cal, like, I mean, you can't stress this enough, Paul, mm. is. He took over Waterford. They hadn't won a game for two years, a championship game. Look at the list of who he's beaten now. They've beaten Cork, Clare, Kilkenny, Galway and Tipperary in the championship and Leash as well. Now, you know, but the the games that they wouldn't have been, they weren't expected to beat any of those five teams. Yeah, yeah. And they've beaten all of them. Yeah. Like, I mean, maybe they were expected to beat Clare in the quarterfinal, but it wouldn't have been that much in it. Like, I mean, they hit 325 from play with 13 different scores. This is a phenomenal turnaround. Yeah, it's huge. And it seems to be Liam Cal has a way that he knows he wants to play rather than basing the way he's going to play around his players. He goes, this is the way we want to play. We've seen with the underage teams that Liam Cal has produced in Tipperary as well, that he knows what way he wants to play and he it doesn't seem to phase him that if a player drops out the, the, the system he plays it doesn't matter if a player drops out of that system like Tyke de Burka like best example of it Parik Manny he doesn't he doesn't mind with that because it's such a, once the players understand the system it's a full 15 players it's the subs coming off the bench and they slot in so seamlessly into it that it's not a case that he needs his big players and what, what I think a big thing that Liam Cal has done is he, got, he has so many players hurting well around the pitch nobody is putting the pressure on Austin Leeson to now perform and Austin Leeson we've seen him kind of start slowly into games but he he comes into the game then because there's so much happening on the pitch Liam Cal has his team so well set up that he just deserves huge credit for what he's done he's completely transformed the way we look at Watford we no longer look at Watford and go it's Austin Leeson it's Tyke de Burka 
we're more and more talking about like Desi Hutchinson and Stephen Bennett and these lads and, and it allows Austin Leeson these boys to go off and just hurl away so it's he deserves huge credit for what he's done Yeah he deserves absolutely and he turned Peter Hogan into a midfielder now as well and bloody another brilliant performance from him like I mean he's turned Shane, Shane Bennett into a centre back a sweeping centre back which was a tie to Burke's yeah, you, you mentioned missing Porik Matany missing tie to Burke like it, it can't be under under understressed I suppose Mick like I mean he doesn't get probably get the high profile that some other managers does and he deserves it No we spoke about this last week Willie of, of Liam's brave, brave calls like like Jack Prendergast Jack, like Jack Prendergast has been unbelievable Peter Hogan the work rate he gets out of these two names and they're yeah. not real they're not well known names around Ireland and he has a real team player he's so motivational on the sideline and he looks like a manager you'd love to play for. And you, and you can see it out on the pitch, the work rate he gets out of his Warford lads. And as Paul said, there's no one man. If one man doesn't play well, it doesn't make a difference to Waterford because the next player will come in seamlessly and play well. So um, he's, he's getting fantastic uh, work rate. And they're buying into his game plan all over the pitch. So it's, it's brilliant to see, brilliant yeah. to watch. Yeah. Yeah, Jack Prendergast is a big one. Like, and the improvement mm. in him is sensational. He really suits. He really likes that game plan. And Patrick Curran now, instead of being a scoring corner forward, can now be a worker. Like, I mean, yeah, yeah. he can turn any yeah. any man into a worker. He could probably yeah. turn me into a working forward. Um, like, I mean, what was the confusion over the Gleeson penalty here, Paul? Explain this to me, because I think a non-hurling person understands this penalty more than a hurling person. That's what yeah, it looks yeah, like to me. Yeah, yeah it, it, I think just on first glance, it was tough to figure out what, because there was a lot happening and we traditionally look at for it to be a clear-cut penalty, a trip, a, a drag or whatever. So even when we look back at it, like if it was the, the, the flick of the hurl out of the hand, fine, that's the penalty. But I think we were all looking for something a bit more. People, like you said, a neutral might look at it and go, oh sure, that's a free, that's fine. But that but, is a free to not, you can't knock yeah, the hurl out it, of someone else's It hand. is a free. I just think we were all looking for something a bit more, that there was something that we didn't see maybe in it. But there wasn't much. I mean, Tipperary didn't protest, and even after the game, there wasn't much, um, you know, people asking questions. People were really just looking for clarification. What was it exactly? But I don't think it changed the complexion of the game. You know, Watford were still threatening, and, uh, you know, it was a good call out of column lines. I think it's just the, the fact we wanted a small bit of clarification, but it does seem to be that it was the flick of the hurl out of the hand. It just it needed a few replays to have a look to say, OK, that's actually what the, the, the penalty was for. Yeah, it was easily missed, Mick, I suppose, because there was a lot happening, you know, in front of the goals, and then your probably focus was on Austin going to kick the ball into the net, and it was like, when did he lose the hurl? On the first replay, I, I thought Breen had tapped his hurl out of his hand. Yeah, in real time, Willie, I thought that's a penner all day long. And I thought Barry Hogan, it looked like a big swipe across the body. And then when you watch the back and read in the replay, it, there was very little in it, in it, but it was enough to knock the knock the hurl out of his hand. But look, h- harsh enough penner, I thought. Um, in real time, we have the we have, we're lucky enough to see a replay and see it. But in in I thought it was harsh enough in the end. Right, okay. And it was, it was the referee in general was brilliant though, right? Mm. Very few frees in it. We yeah. got our flow back, uh, yeah. Paul. And like, I mean, the advantage for the Hutchinson goal. Yeah. Like, I mean, very few referees wouldn't have pulled that free up on Curran there. Like, I mean, it yeah. was a very cynical free Yeah. Yeah. to, to break up a goal-scoring opportunity and he just yeah. he left the layout like like a rugby offload. Yeah, he, yeah. He left it on. In fairness to Colin Lyons and it was, it was something I thought after the match. I mean, he deserves huge credit for it and I'm saying this for a man who sent me off in my day. He <laughs> deserves great credit for the match he played and he used wicked common sense. Like you said, he let it play on that small bit and... We we weren't talking about him during the match. It was only afterwards he realised, you know, once you look back at the scores and like you said, the advantage that he did give for him, you kind of realise that's that was a brilliant game from a referee because we weren't talking about him during it, making mad calls or anything. There was no yellow cards as well, which isn't a point in favour or against. 
I just thought it was interesting because it was a very physical match but maybe just aired on the side that players were going in hard but there was no malice in any of the tackles different things like that maybe players also didn't consistently keep fouling there was no one player that you thought was consistently fouling but um, no he had a brilliant game um, and he, you know, he really deserves huge credit I, this is one or two games now he's after putting together that's been really good so he, de- he deserves we're often here after these big games you know, complimenting players, and I think the referee deserves huge compliments in this in this game. Yeah, he definitely does. I, th- I think refs, Woolly. Sorry, I think refs have a game plan to start of the year because they're so bad <laughs> throughout the league, <laughs> and they're saying, right, let's get slated here, and no one will touch us for the championship because the difference between league and championship is incredible. Yeah. Like, and same rules, same rules. I can't understand how it's so different come championship. But it, it, that was the point I was going to make. Why are they acting the bollocks during the league then? <laughs> Why are they doing it? Like, I mean, that everyone could see that game. Mm. And a, a non-hurling person like myself said, just that's fantastic now. He's not yeah. blowing up our messing. That's hurling. Yeah. Why are they messing with that? Like, why do we even have those conversations in the league? Why do we get so <laughs> panicked that the game's gone? Well, I think they're given a set of rules and it's it's always trialled for the league. So any rules that come in, it comes in for the league. And they're forced. And I think they just talk and say, listen, this is what we're going to have to go with. Play it to the letter of the law. And show the committees who pick these things, this is what you're asking us to do. And the uproar then, I think, actually benefits them that later in the season they can come back together. I'm sure they meet regularly and say, this is the feedback we're getting. Yeah. And like the advantage rule was the big thing that we were seeing so many frees, it was killing it. I, I think they deserve you know huge credit that they must have come together and said, look, this is obviously killing it. It's not making for a spectacle. We're getting enormous hardship over this as well. And they've now readjusted. So as opposed to turning around and saying, why are they so hard at the start of the league? I think they're given a set of rules and they go, well, this is the rules we're given. Turn around and show the GA committees who make these rules. Look, this is what you're giving us. Yeah. This is what's happening to the game. And now let's not do this for championship. Comes to championship and they show what they can do for matches if you just let them officiate the way they want to officiate. I think that's what we're seeing, you know. So they're really, I suppose, sticking it back to the committees. I could be wrong, but that seems to be what's happening in the league and it comes to championship and they're going, if you let us rule it away by what we judge is, is, is the ruling, these are the matches we'll produce. Yeah, that might make a bit of sense. Think of all the night's sleep hurling people lost during the league, oh, though. Like, I mean, that was, <laughs> that was a very worrying time it was, for it was people. bad times. We were, we were in a recession <laughs> there in the league. <laughs> we definitely were. <laughs> Come here, Mick. What did you make of Sheedy on the sideline? I have to talk about this because he's doing my head in. Like, And I've nothing against Liam Sheedy. I, I quite like him. But, like, I mean, the celebration when Paddy Maher hit Shane Bennett. Like, a man, the man looked to the skies. It was way over the top. And it's like... What's he achieving doing that? Who's he, why is he doing it? He never used to do it. And what's going on with him? Is he playing to the camera with this carry-on? I think Tip are struggling more than they ever have, Willie. And this, he thinks they need it. You know, where the, years past, they might have needed him being on, so animated on the sideline all the time. And I think this team, like that performance looked like an old performance for me for Tip. Like they did only three players under the age of 25 on the pitch. They look like their their legs were going, and now I'm not saying they need the huge overhaul, but they do need young lads to come in and perform. And I think he's seen this on the sideline and said, like, they need me, they need me to motivate them. Whereas prior to this, I don't think they needed as much. So I think that's what it's all about, just trying to get the most out of his team because they need it. Right. And do you think that would work? Like, I mean, I can imagine being on the field in a championship match, looking at my manager, celebrating a shoulder and looking up to the heavens. I'd, I'd roll my eyes. Yeah, it's an interesting one because especially those big matches like that in Parky Cueve or wherever, you, the only time you look to the sideline, or the only time I would have ever looked to the sideline, if I hear my name actually being shouted that I know I'm, I'm going to get a bollocking from the sideline or something, I don't look over to the sideline for some sort of a, you know, yeah, yeah. something to G me on that, okay, I yeah. If you don't know, 
to do that yourself on the pitch or you know if you don't know to react when a point goes over or a block goes in yourself to look to the sideline look again Liam Sheedy is a passionate man and maybe he, he felt he had to draw that small bit more out of players but you can't just turn passionate now he didn't always do that yeah, so maybe yeah. is he overacting like Liam Cal does it and when I see Liam Cal doing it I think there's a, is a more genuine thing because mm. his team is all based around that high intensity thing. That's not really Tipperary's game isn't based off that. Mm. It was a hit we saw Paddy Mar doing 101 times yeah. and the man acted like he, it was a last minute bloody goal. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well look here certainly you have a point there that it was it did seem to be a little bit more than we we would traditionally see from Lee and Sheedy and the cameras were loving it because the cameras were all over at any time it seemed yeah. to happen so it seems to be a new thing over the last year or two that the cameras are panning to managers on the sideline it's like American football nearly looking for for these big reactions yeah. but no you do have a point it is something we haven't traditionally seen from Neem Sheedy but maybe it's something he thought that maybe he could pull something from the players and that's what he decided to go with Yeah we're all up for it or whatever like mm. that I don't yeah. it, this is going to seem like I'm over the top harsh on Neem Sheedy but I have some problems with what he said after the game <laughs> uh, then as well like I mean he says and I'd say a lot of people question the character I had in that dressing room they were guy, uh, these guys were too old and they were this and that I tell you one thing they gave some answer today that's a top quality group and a top quality bench to come in and top quality guys who didn't make the 26 today now I don't know one person that questioned that Tipperary dressing room's character because yeah. it's just not a question mark over them their character is, speaks for themselves there, a lot of them have won three All-Irelands um, definitely most of them have won two so I don't know where he's getting that Tipperary lost this game. They gave their answer today. Tipperary were favourites. Like, I went against the grain with you and, and Paddy. Like, Tipperary were the favourites yeah. to win it. Like, since when do Tipperary, a manager, try and twist a loss like that where your favourites to win into, I think the lads gave the answer there today. Like, I mean, is this how far Tipperary have fallen, Mick, that Liam Sheedy is praising his team for losing a match they were expected to win? The few things I see with that, Wally, when I read it, I, I thought like one, he sort of he, he tries to say ultra positive all the time, Liam Sheedy, and all his interviews, he very rarely goes negative. But there, there's times where you just have to be straightforward and say you weren't good enough. And it, it also sort of seems to me that he's looking for the he wants to stay on the job next year. You know, like that that's what it seems to me. Where with the way he was speaking, he started putting it out there saying I want to stay and I'll get more out of this team. Like from from his actions over the last few weeks, like the half time when Tipper coming in against Limerick and he was clapping them all off and he was over exaggerating everything. I think he's seen the right numbers on the wall that we're, we're not where we should be and this is what I I have to do this to get the most out of them. You know that's I think that's why we haven't seen that before out of Liam. But yeah, for me I think it looks like he wants to stay on and that was just letting people know that I think I can stay on and get more out of these. Yeah, well, he's like, I mean, it sounded like they wanted a moral victory. Even Cheddar, after Leash losing to Waterford, said, We don't want a moral victory. I don't mm. want to be praising. And this is, you know, Leash, who wouldn't have been expected. They don't want praise. We're tired of these moral victories. I just couldn't believe it. They've won two championship matches in six year in, in six matches, mm. two wins in six matches since they won the All Ireland. Yeah. And you could make an argument to say that that was a soft All Ireland. They got hammered by Limerick in the Munster final. They scraped over Wexford. They barely beat Leash in the quarter final. And Richie Hogan, who was a very 50 50 first half, Richie Hogan got a very you know a contentious red card like I mean has it been an impressive like is Liam Sheed even the man to keep going like he's, has he introduced the players he's needed to like has he made the big calls mm. it doesn't look like he has yeah I think the conversation that's come out and uh, you know he, he's done a great job and in fairness he's delivered in All-Ireland regardless what terms he delivered it on yeah, or other he people did. see he delivered in All-Ireland which you know Tipperary people will always be grateful for Liam Sheedy for that but I think what where we are at now is maybe that because Liam Cal was involved with the underage groups in Tipperary, now he's gone to Waterford. They see what he's producing in Waterford and maybe the comments that also Liam Cal made, you know, 
maybe Liam Cal recognises that some of those players should be pushing in onto the Tipperary team also. You know, because people are, are saying Shamie Callan and, and Pardy Marin, these guys should go. I don't think they should go, to be honest. If if they want to go on their own terms, let them go on their own terms. But it shouldn't be a case of they're good enough last year and now they're not good enough this year, you're gone. I think it's more the fact that people are looking now at, you know, Liam Cal. Maybe was he the man that was in under under our noses the whole time? But people weren't saying that two years ago. It's just when things are going bad now, people often turn around and say, "Oh well, hindsight's a great thing." Like you know, we could have we haven't won matches in so long, you know. And again, but like you said, it's a fair point. Liam Sheedy, you know, they've won two matches and six championship matches now. So the record no monster, no monster in three years. Yeah, yeah, but a very competitive monster, but still no monster for Tipperary people. Three they would hammerings say. by Limerick. Yeah, yeah, Limerick will. Limerick have them in their bogey team as well, though. But yeah. Limerick has been everyone's bogey team really at the moment. So look, they'll have to look at it themselves. I mean, the, the results do speak for themselves. Um, there's been even in the last twenty four hours, there's been a massive cry about you know some of these players kind of have to move on. But look again. I wouldn't be pushing the panic button yet. They do have a savage amount of players coming through. I think it's just maybe that we haven't seen so many of those players come through. Like Mick was saying, they only had a few players under 25 on the team. Whereas Watford seemed to be a very young team. You know, Jamie Barron we see as one of the older lads. He's 27. Yeah. You know, so I think this is what people are looking at that, well, in fairness, these the centre, the spine of the team is getting older. They're on the far side of the 30s. Where are the other players coming from? I think that's the big cry at the moment more than... Liam Sheedy situations where are these players coming from well uh, that's the thing like I mean I did think Liam Cal was a bit out of order I know he's a Tipperary man so maybe he felt he needed to comment on it but he said Tipperary hurling at senior level is probably at a big crossroads now because there's a number of players there that maybe have big decisions to make over the next couple of weeks and like I mean I suppose who are the ones they're talking about Shamie Callan and Brendan Maher Paddy Maher the, the obvious three Noel McGrath's only yep. 30 like he's only 31 this year now why do these lads have to retire can Shamie Callan not be told You'll get twenty. You won't start for me next year, but I need you for the last twenty minutes because you still have a lot to offer, and the other two lads as well. And let them lead the young lads. I do agree, Mick, that Liam Sheedy has refused the big calls of dropping some of these lads. Like uh, forcing yeah. these lads into retirement, I think is harsh. No, because they're still brilliant hurlers, Willie. And like, if you had Jamie Callanan coming on for twenty minutes, he's such a good finisher. You want them at the end of the ball. You don't need him running around like a lunatic on the pitch. So I, I, I'd be shocked to see these players walk away. And like Paddy Maher has been exceptional up, like up, to his, up to date in his career. So I can't see any reason why they'd leave. But again, like having the younger players, like Waterford had seven, under 25, seven players under 25 starting the other day. And their oldest player on the pitch starting was 28. Like Kevin Moran comes on and does a bit. He's 34. Yeah. But Liam Callum manages him properly where he can come on, do his bit and he's off again. So again, it's about managing these older players. Um. We talked last week about Liam Cal going to tip. I can't see why, because the younger players are with Waterford and the talent is with Waterford. He'd have a big rebuild to do if he ever took on tip. And I can't see why he'd want that because he has all the youth and he has all the talent in Waterford. So I can't see him going anytime soon. Yeah, I would have the same call in with Tyg de Burke and Parik Matney coming back. He might see the yeah. project being mm. a little bit long. But Tipperary have won two under 20 All-Irelands. Like, I mean, it's just Liam Cal hasn't shown us them. He's given them an old subs, rose, bencher. Like, that middle third for Tip is not ha- is not able to keep going for 70 minutes. Like, that's mm. the obvious thing. It needs an injection. Of, Bubbles doesn't probably work hard enough. Jason Ford probably doesn't. He's got some classy forwards that don't like as much work as other players. You know, yeah. there's a lot of rebuilding there to do, you know, and whether yeah. Liam Sheedy... Liam Sheedy has not given any inclination in the last three years that he's the he's the one to do it. Yeah, he's stuck to his guns, really, with in terms of the, the team selection. We haven't seen much variety in the change, exactly what you're saying. So I think and I, I think it'd be great for the younger players as well. If you're If you're going to rebuild... You want to rebuild with Paddy Marr and Shamie Callan and these boys around because if you have younger players coming through from an under-20 All-Ireland who've won All-Irelands, 
like the idea for them to share a dressing room with these lads would be a huge starting point for them because they go out and they sit and they're looking at these lads as their heroes that have won all Ireland's for Tipperary and they'll want to perform by just having those lads in the dressing room alone and like like you said I mean Shamie Callanan as far as I could see is still a dangerous forward for the next two years three years whatever he wants to do um, and the idea that to push these lads out of the dressing room absolutely not bring in the under 20s get them in there and blood them alongside Paddy Marr and blood them alongside Brendan Marr because I think it would only raise their game and they have the makings there of being a really savagely competitive team for next year but like Mick was saying how do you manage that how do you manage the performances of these players maybe you have to do make some hard calls and traditionally some of the lads that have started over the last years put them on the bench and bring them on or play them for 40 minutes take them off and keep that tempo going and have the young blood that can cover the ground on the pitch but these are decisions that have to be made with Tipperary at the moment and look like we said, there's no panic yet. They do have the makings of it there. It's just a matter of how are they going to manage that coming into next year and what, what decisions will be made. Yeah, we'll talk about the game a little bit because, like, I mean, it is, is all about Waterford, uh, Mick, and they set the tone early. There was two blockdowns. Peter Hogan definitely would want at the sideline. I think it could have been Jamie Barron, five points to one. And I was like, ah, Jesus, here, there's only one team going to win. Yeah. Like, it was obvious early that one team was firing and, you know, even after getting sucker punched by the two goals, it didn't stop Waterford. They're back in droves again. Yeah, and it was 5-1 up, Willie, and then Shane Bennett got a ball and he went for goal. You could see Waterford's intent, you know, like they just goal mad, take their chances. But that didn't work out. He could have stick, stuck it over the bar and it would have been six. And the ball went back up the other end of the pitch and yeah. Shane McCann got a great goal. So, like, Waterford could have been a lot further ahead than they were. I don't think what I don't think we spoke about matchups last week. I don't think Tip got it right. Like Dan McCormick went on Jamie Barron. Jamie Barron ran amok in the first half. Like, like he scored four points in the first fifteen minutes, and he was crucial to the goals. He like, incredible player, and and also Noel McGrath. I thought he would have went centre forward. He went out wing forward on Callum Lyons. That's just a wrong matchup. Like Lyons is going to be up and down that line all day long, and Noel McGrath doesn't want to be chasing players. He wants the freedom of that half forward line. So I just think Sheedy got a few matchups wrong there that massively cost Tipperary. Well, you see, that's the thing. But Jason Ford doesn't want to run that line either. See, this is why I'm saying mm. Tip need to move away from the brilliant forwards. They need to move away, move towards brilliant forwards that are uh, manic for working. And I don't mm. want to go back to Tipperary now with a stick on Waterford because they yeah. have them in droves. They do, yeah. And something that I really noticed with Waterford and really noticed more so yesterday was that the half-backs with Waterford were dictating to the half-forward line of Tipperary in that once Tipperary put the pressure on, in the last, you know, five, ten minutes, once Tipperary put the pressure on Waterford, the Waterford half-backs continued to push up the pitch. They didn't sit back in fear of the Tipperary half-forward line. So, like, the likes of the puckouts, you had Caelan Lyons running up the sideline, going, I'm going to get underneath my own puckout. I'm, I'm the wing-back, but I'm going to run up and support. And they, they won, they got a point off it. I think Montgomery came on, gave a good pass into the middle, and they got a point off it. But the confidence of the Waterford half-back line that... First of all, they're saying, well, we're playing our game. We're not playing to your game. We're playing our game and you come with us if you want to mark us. So, you know, like Mick was saying, you had Noel McGrath out on, on, on Caleb Lines, And Caleb Lines was going, I don't care who's on me. I'm. This is my game. Yeah. This is what I'm doing and I'm running. Which is, you know, a, 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 it, it's very threatening for any team to look at that, that this is the Waterford team we're playing. And regardless what we do, they're playing their own game. That, to me, shows a Waterford team that full of confidence but also full of belief of what they're about that this is what I'm doing and whether it's the first minute if it's the 70th minute whether it's Noel McGrath on me or you know whether it's Kyle Hayes this is what I'm doing 
and you follow me. And I just thought that was absolutely brilliant out of the water. Yeah, yeah, they've no fear of anyone. And they hunt in packs, they, they, they turn over the ball. Like, I mean, they work the ball through the hands. Like, the, the Austin Gleeson goal was sensational. Jamie Barron, Jack Prendergast deserves all the credit because you would have thought maybe he might tap it over. I didn't really even see the hand pass, never mind give it, you know. Mm-hmm. And then he's just going inside the extra man, which is dangerous enough in itself. They're, all, they're told just to take on your man, go for goal. It seems to me like it's all positive with Waterford. Yeah, and Jack Pendergrass was uh, crucial for both them goals. Like um, Jamie Barron gave him a great ball, and then Jack Pendergrass took it into contact and gave it to Gleeson. But even for the second goal, Woolley, where like they won it, they it started with a block out the field. They worked up the pitch again. Jack Pendergrass was crucial, ran to the middle, and it was a great flick. He took a belt off Carl Barrett for the flick, but it was a great flick, and then um, it was a great finish by Desi Hutchinson. So I, I just love watching them play. They're so energetic. They don't seem to tire. Um, they have a great game plan and everyone's bought into it. So it, it's it's great watching it. And as you said, even if the likes of Austin Gleeson doesn't have a great day in the office, I can't see Waterford struggling. Yeah, you know, that, so it's brilliant to watch. That, that was the thing. And even in the lead up to the Gleeson goal, it was huge intensity. I think they mm. won that ball back. Yeah, yeah. You know, just to you know to be able to score that goal. Yeah, yeah. And like Mick was saying with with the with the second goal, with the Desi Hutchinson goal. What I thought was great about it, if you actually go back and watch it, it shows what Waterford are doing, obviously in training that no one stands still once you have ball in possession there's players running off the shoulder and I think it was twice maybe it broke down where let's say it was Jamie Barron you know hit the ground and straight away he knew there was going to be a runner off the shoulder and he just popped it up they're and Jack like off caught it. in rugby aren't they? They are yeah and that's the way they're doing it they're off the shoulder each time and you could nearly pick any clip in the match where let's say the ball went into the Waterford back line Waterford got it look at the f- players around him they all turn it's like you turn they're all turn going right we're getting up the pitch and we're going and we're yeah. going so for any Waterford player that's in possession he nearly knows if he's looking forward at the at, at the opposition's goal he knows that somewhere behind him he has runners off the shoulder which is a huge thing because if he runs into trouble he doesn't have to go turn around and look to see where a man is he nearly can just pop it automatically and that run which is timed has to be timed it can't be a case of that you're standing there and you're taking the ball flat you have to run and keep running on like so that you can take the ball on the move Jack Pendergast was the example of that for the goal and like you said ran straight into trouble drew the defenders and just popped it out to Desi Hutchinson but what they do there it's clearly what they're doing in, in, in training don't don't stop moving or don't be caught standing. Move, 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 and it's just it's electric to watch. It is electric. Like I mean, you call Liver Klopp called it heavy metal football. Like I call Mayo heavy metal Gaelic football. This is heavy metal hurling. Like this is that same massively high intensity, massive fitness rates, massive work rate to get the ball back when you lose it, and massive work rate because everyone always thinks of work rate is to get the ball back. Massive work rate to get back up and support an attack. Like everything is done at a hundred miles an hour. Absolutely, and like we we seen the tip teams, I suppose, always having Bonamar and Dan McCormick there, and they hadn't got that in the half hour line, Woolly. And that Waterford's half back line are so strong; they're so aggressive, they're so like constant attacking, and they've great vision on the ball. They don't go up and hit aimless ball at all. Um, like I think Kieran Bennett's usually underrated. Yeah. Like people don't speak about. It. I thought he was absolutely brilliant the other day, and he comes up every game with two or three points, and his vision on the ball for finding his brothers as well. It's great. Like so. Um, I think, I think they're brilliant to watch. Yeah, wing back is definitely Bennett's uh, best position. Yeah. Uh, Kieran Bennett, he is mm. very, he is very underrated. And even then, when Tip rallied, like Tip, choose the John, the save by Sean O'Brien on John yeah. McGrath, like that was to draw it or put draw Tip one left, one or the other. Yeah. Yeah. I think there might have been only two in it at that stage. And what if Ron starts the trouble then? They were gone on their own puckouts. They mm. seem to be losing them all. And then amazingly. Montgomery gets 1-1 one, one off the puckout. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like, and for for that one, for the John McGrath goal, it was the one. 
I suppose moment of 30 seconds where I saw Waterford kind of panic because it was the end of the game and yeah. they knew a goal in it or two points in it whichever it was but there were, the ball was jumping around there was a chance of one of the defenders almost over over carried the ball went to pop it out and tip turned it around but when we we could very easily be sitting here talking of a Tipperary win that's how fine it was because only for that save the momentum could have swung in Tipperary's favour and then it's only a case of you know a free ball over the bar time is up and Tipperary won but like Watford were the better team I do yeah. believe they were the better been team an injustice. but they could have Tipperary yeah. still could have got the win so but like you said that went down the other end and the, the frantic finish of Montgomery to come on and nearly in the neck of him to go and score a goal like that <laughs> he was going through and a lot of other lads would have said get it over the bar make it a one score match or a goal at least that they have to go up the other end no I'm going in sticking the ball into the net and then back up again Jamie Barron got a point Montgomery another point and it was almost as if Tipperary never had a hope whereas like I do genuinely believe Sean O'Brien deserves huge credit today and he probably won't get the credit he deserves because so much else happened in the game but that save was enormous and he's taken a bit of flack as well I think during during different matches you know there's been a few goals went in but he really deserves you know huge credit for that save it was it was enormous for Watford Yeah it was massive he probably didn't know too much about it because it went off his hurley into, over the bar didn't it Mick? Yeah, but I think if that was John McGrath two years ago, Willie, they would have been two goals scored by him. We thought mm. like the one where he got blocked down on his right hand side, he should have turned on his left and and scored. And this is where they're lacking that sharpness. And even Shamey Callanan with the ball popped across yeah, and he, he missed it, it on the yeah. ground. Yeah, just like things like that. Normally for Tiff, they go in all day long, and like they should. Three years ago, they would have been three goals for Tiff. And I think that's where you're seeing that little lack of confidence and something missing in the camp where I think Liam Sheedy's trying to make up with it by his motivational shouting and all. But um, yeah, Waterford are very lucky. And I'm happy because I think Waterford are much the better side, but it could have easily swung to their way by a few points. Yeah. Isn't it a weird one that they were, like, I mean, most people would agree they were the better mm. side. Was it much the better side, the better side? I thought they were much the better side. And yet Tipperary could easily have been level if that goal, where you would back John McGrath eight yeah. times out of ten there. Well, that's it, yeah. And it, it was, you know, Tip or Waterford went five points to one up and then Callan jumps in with a goal and suddenly you're going, there's only a point in it for all the hurling Waterford have done. So one of the aspects I think Waterford do have to look at is, you know, Tipperary scored the most amount ever in a championship match to lose a game. So 228, I think it was, or 227, 228, which is an enormous score to get. So the one downside that you have to look at and you have to say, look, well, going forward, we're going to be playing Limerick in these things, there is a lot of room in behind, you know, and Shamie Callanan did exploit that, um, you know, when he got the two goals. There was, if you're going to flood forward, you also kind of have to flood back because one long ball, and as we saw with Callanan's goal, he was cute enough to... I was so cute there. That was very clever, you yeah. know, but there was no one there covering. It was Prunty on his own with Shamie Callanan. It was a mishit shot though, wasn't it? It wasn't it an, seemed an to expected... Be. I think it was a half-blocked half blocked. one. Yeah, it was a half-blocked yeah. one. Yeah. But he was so clever. He, he ran and Prunty was too tight for his own good. Yeah, exactly. Callanan spun him then. Yeah, and he spun him. And, and it goes back to the argument of people saying, you know, will Shamie Callanan move on? Two goals in two minutes is the reason why he shouldn't move on. Yeah, you yeah. know, because he can do this. If you brought him into a game 40 minutes in, 50 minutes in, and it really kept, you know, the, the goals were keeping Tip in the game. And like you said, John McGrath, there were, one criticism I would say of it was, if you look at the other goals that were scored, they were struck low, whereas just kept them that hip height that keepers could save or someone could get a block. There was a small bit of cuteness, like Mick was saying there, was just missing. But there was very little in it and, and, and again it goes back to that the goals are there Watford are capable of letting through a few goals which is something they'll probably just have to look at that if we are to be doing such brilliant stuff at the other end if we were to stop the goals happening and let teams score points grand if they want to score them but stop the goal opportunities we would be really pushing for an All-Ireland now because 
if you're going to do savage work and be five points to one up, it's a bit of a sucker punch to go down and let a uh, handy ah, enough yeah. goal in at the far end. You yeah, know? no, it definitely. Paddy Maher had a bad wide and Jason Ford had a bad wide at a very important time as well, Mick, when Tip were trying to rally that. I think what Liam Sheedy is giving them credit for is that rally, is getting it back from eight to two and could have gone level, obviously, with, with the goal. But that's the least I'd expect from this Tip team. Like, that Tip team's not going to roll, you know, roll down and die. No, and the decision making will he sort of let tip down as well at the end. Like Ronamar was excellent. Like he caught some amazing balls, but he caught them and then drove two or three wide, you know. And it, as much as a like big catch steers everyone on, a wide kills you, kills a team. And the same with Paddy Murray came out and I've been critical of him over the last year or two as well, where he wins amazing balls, but he just has to get his head up and find people more rather than opening up the shoulders and trying to hit a ball 90 yards and dribbling wide. I think it kills momentum in a team and if they had a looked up and found a man and got a score from them, inspirational catches and insp- like the two two lads are unbelievable in the back line. But if they look up a bit more and find a man who's in a better position, it would lift Tip beyond belief. Like for the last few minutes of that game, and it just killed them. Odd wides killed the game. And again, Jason Ford, we're not used to seeing him him hit easy wides, but he missed he missed a very simple wide towards the end of the game. And, Look, it just killed Tip's momentum. Yeah, no, it definitely did. So, performance of the weekend, lads. Jamie Barron, again, this is every game now, Paul, four from play. Yeah. How do you stop this fella? Right, because mm. he's so fast. Jeez, I'm nearly repeating from last week. Maybe instead of saying how good he is and how accurate he is and how, you know, how do you stop him? Yeah, I think I think you nearly a cornerback. You nearly just have to sacrifice a player just uh, to go and stand beside him and say, "Listen, you're being sacrificed. You have to go with this fella." Like Kilkenny did it in the first half against Watford last year, where Connor Brown just followed him, followed him everywhere he went. But again, it goes back to how well Watford are set up. Liam Cal obviously said to Jamie Barron, "Jamie, you you stay away from the ball because Jamie was going underneath the ball, trying to win that ball where he wins it at the breakdown, but he pulled Connor Brown away and then managed to come back in. Let's say." support and play so he made the runs through and that's how he came back into the game so the only way I think you could actually mark Jamie Barron at the moment is if that you just sacrifice one of your players go out and stand beside him whatever Jamie Barron decides to do you're going with him you're not going to play your own game um, but even at that it still mightn't be enough because he, the type of game he plays he doesn't rely on good ball he doesn't rely on he just runs yeah. and he'll pick up the ball and if he has a yard of space where he can just get a hand pass that's all he needs so yeah. he'll wear you down he'll wear you, you down n- you nearly need a corner yeah. back to mark him for the first half and bring on another corner yeah. back to mark him for the second yeah. half well, that's what you're talking you know so it's one of those it's one of those things again you can't underestimate how good Jamie Barron is in that regard where you can go out and mark a forward and keep the ball off him but Jamie Barron there's not much you can do to keep the ball off him because the type of ball he's winning it's through hard work it's through running it's supporting off the shoulder very little can be done to do yeah. it and the great thing like I mean it must be great to be in the Waterford team when you make that supporting run like Barron does you always get it Mick like I mean I, there's nothing more demoralising than making those runs you know and it's, it might be put in or wide like they know what they're about don't they yeah as Paul said it doesn't happen by accident um, like they must be working on this non-stop and training this run off the shoulder and when you're marking a fella and he has good timing like that and he's running off a shoulder, it's so hard to stop because he hasn't got the ball. You can't give him a dunt. <laughs> you, you, you try and grab him a, a small bit, but they're so pacey. There's not many people, markers around the place to have that pace. And I think you're right, Willie. We're, we've seen with Tony Kelly and Jamie Barron, lads have stopped them for 20 minutes, 25 minutes, but not the whole game. And I think 
it is a thing where you're going to have to have one person mark him in the first half and another person mark him in the second half. I don't think one fella could keep it up for a whole game. Yeah. The sacrifice whole game for that. So we might see that now come next week. Yeah, whether Limerick will do it, Limerick wouldn't do that. Limerick don't yeah, worry too much no. about the opposition. But like, I mean, I'm talking just in general. We're speculating here, I suppose, of how to... Yeah. I, I couldn't see Limerick doing that. Desi Hutchinson, mm. like, I mean, scored 1-3 off Cottle Barrett. Yeah. You're talking about a fella who's running a very tough line in there all the time. Yeah. He you know, has to win hard ball. I think it was his second point where he yeah. caught it. Dummy, dummy I call yeah. him a dummy solo in Gaelic football, whatever yeah. you call it, a dummy, yeah. and brought it back on his other side. Just like top, top drawer stuff. Yeah, it, w- it was brilliant. And it was something, again, that it, it's nearly like the evolution now of Desi Hutchinson. D- this was something we didn't see from before. Last year, what we were looking at was electric pace, get the ball, turn, go for goal. Whereas now he's getting clever and he's getting, you know, I'll do a little dummy. It's not something we expected from Desi Hutchinson. Maybe more so. He's, he's also coming further out from goal. Last year, it was very much under 14, under 21. But the Confidence of him, and that's where he's grown as well, is hugely in confidence that get the ball, have a look, shot is none, little dummy, sold it. And another point again, not to bring it back to Jamie Barron, but he put that ball over and we were looking at this going, brilliant, absolutely brilliant point. But Jamie Barron was gone sprinting through the middle, looking for a goal. So all over the pitch, and it's not to go back to what we were saying previously, you can see it evident all over pitch what they're trying to do. But Desi Hutchinson, I mean, one three. Any corner forward in any game, if you go out and you score 1-3, your manager is absolutely delighted. That's a huge return. And again, off Cahill Barrett, who didn't really have a bad game either. You know, Cahill Barrett was involved. Um, won a few balls as won well, a, yeah. Yeah, won a few balls, yeah. But just, you know, he really has to... He, he's such a dangerous forward and very consistent. Each yeah. week we go out, we're talking about him, you know. And, and similar enough, the goal he got, you know, just again, so simple... Pulled away from his man, whipped on it. Didn't panic. Didn't think have to raise this. Whipped on it into the net, back out into position. He's he's, he's really going well at the moment. He, he is, and the, like the, the fact he has so much support, Mick, means the cornerback's not sure because Desi Hutchinson for me would always take him on, and that can get predictable. But now he's got to take him on. He's got a shot, and he, and he's got a dummy. He could have a dummy pass or a dummy shot, you know, because you, when you have so many yeah. options around you, you will know that Paul. Sure, you know that Mick as well from Marcanas, like especially in the full back line. You know, if you get predictable and you don't have support, if you don't have support, the cornerback's going to know, right, well, this leg can only take me on here. You know, so he's just so many options in his armory, I suppose, is the point I'm trying to make. Yeah, and Paul would know better from being cornerback, but like the support play out the field is so good, Willie. It's allowing the ball come in. Whoever, Whoever has the ball out coming in, they have time to look up and find Desi in the best position. And as a cornerback, it's impossible. If good ball's coming in, it's very hard to defend. You need... The lads to be making blocks, making a hard, making a hard for defenders coming out with the ball. That it's a 50-50 ball coming in. Sometimes it gives a cornerback a chance to win it. But because the ball's so good, you can't really blame Carl Barrett because Desi Hutchinson's so fast and his balance has improved over the last two years. Like that, he was going full tilt when he threw that dummy, and I watched Carl Barrett after it, and he just threw his head to the sky, going, "How? Like, <laughs> how can you stop that?" Because his balance, he was full tilt. He stopped on a dime. And then he took off for five yards and, and stuck it over the bar. So, again, he has everything in his locker, Willie, you're right. So, it, it's, it's impossible for a cornerback to stop if you're not getting help out the pitch. Yeah. I have to say, I hold my hands up. Peter Hogan and Jack Prendergast are two players that I would have had down as they're not probably, you know, inter-county yeah. standard. And I have, like, they are. They're unreal. Yeah. Peter Hogan was brilliant. Three from play. Jack Prendergast, outstanding. Mm. Like isn't that incredible? Like I put that down to brilliant management because yeah. they hadn't shown it up until now. Up until now. Yeah. Again, it goes back to Liam Cal man management. What do these? What are they good at? Ask first of all. What are they good at? Okay. Are they 
because they're kind of I suppose a small bit lighter than, than, yeah, than that's some of the other the players reason, yeah. a lot of lads go okay corner forward whatever not up the middle of the field which a lot of lads would, would, would traditionally think oh sure you need bigger players up the middle it's great that Liam Cal has looked at it again it goes back to Liam Cal saying this is the way we want to play what type of players do we need in these areas well we need players who aren't going to burn out very quickly we need players who can move we need players who have good hands skillful yeah. skillful you know and that's what these players are and I think what these players now so the likes of Hogan the likes of Pendergast because they know their job they're they're loving it. They're immersed in it. And they're just running around the pitch going, this is my job. Loving doing it. I'm going to get my few scores. I'm going to be selfless. I'm going to pop the ball off. My job is to tackle. My job is to run. And they just seem to love it because they now have, I suppose, a goal in the team. They're not this this corner forward that you throw on because they're light. They're not, you know, seeing it. They have so much to offer. And Liam Callis said, right, that's what they're strong at. That's what I'll use them. And where will I use them? I'll use them straight up the middle. And like you said, None of us saw that coming, these performances out of these players. And it, 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 Liam Cal deserves huge credit to, for recognising this in the players. And now what we all want, uh, Jack Pendergast, we all want Peter Hogan. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's a brilliant skill that if that's what you're turning players into, that we all want them now because yeah. they're just so good. Imagine Tipperary are at the stage. I'll trade you Noel McGrath and a Jason Ford for a Jack Pendergast. <laughs> 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 that's yeah. the way, way Hurling maybe has gone. Last one's Austin Gleeson. I did think it was Austin's best game. He got the official uh, man of the match. You know, a lovely goal, two incredible sidelines. He played well, I thought, without, you know... I don't know. I would. I thought there were fellas ahead of him for man of the match, Mick. I was the exact same, Willie. When, when he was called man of the match, I was saying to myself, I actually watched it back. And look, he was influential when he needed it. He won the penalty as well as getting the scores. Um, but again, I thought there was players that were better out there. But I suppose when Austin Gleeson does something, it's, it's hyped up like by everybody. And he got great. He did get great sidelines. He's becoming a real specialist at that now. And he was influential at times that Waterford needed him. Um, I think that's what that's what got him over the line. But for me, Jamie Barron or Jack Jack Pendergrass, for me, were the better two to get him on the match. Yeah, the day. His, his first sideline was beautiful. His second yeah. one, that's like a, a long iron. That you, that's a yeah, one that stings your hands. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, was, I was looking at him for his first, I, I was sitting at home watching it, and his first sideline, it went out over the net. He was yeah, on the sideline. Yeah. Unreal. Six, 65, on the 65, so he was actually further than 65 yards out. And it went over the net behind the goal. I said, there's a lot of lads who wouldn't be able to strike the ball out of their hand to do that. like you know. But again, I, I was also thinking that the fact he cut two over the bar, I think he must have been looking at too many of the headlines during the week that Joe Canning had the 28 and his closest rival was Austin Gleeson <laughs> with nine. So Austin yeah. obviously said, I may cut over two or three a match now because I'm going to beat Joe Canning. But um, no, in fairness, I yeah, I'd, I'd agree. He had a good game, but there wasn't many players who completely stood out everybody really played well in the match and there was lots of good performances I think a few kind of honourable mentions again the likes of Kieran Bennett and these lads because they did huge work and you know he took a few hard tackles in the game he was down towards the end as well after taking a hard tackle but uh, Conor Prunty grew into the game okay Shamey Callan got two goals but it was a great mark of the man that he came back into the game afterwards and you know dominated really the position so I think there was other lads who did maybe the stuff that won't get the marquee kind of attention won't you know be on, on any sporting reels anytime soon but um, so I think there was a good few performances there in that regard but um, yeah look I mean I won't, I won't begrudge Austin the, the man in the match Yeah well we're going to give Peter Hogan and Jack Prendergast a sorry forever doubting you lads uh, <laughs> performance <laughs> joint, joint award for performance of the weekend Right lads if you could actually spend another hour talking about that match we'll, we'll leave it there and we'll come back and talk about the other quarterfinal. Yeah, so Cork are back in an All-Earn semi-final. Is it the first time since 2013, I think I was reading? Sorry about this, Mick, but it was a handy enough win. Would that be fair enough to say? Yeah, well, it was very disappointing. Um, 
like I've tipped Dublin, I thought there was a sting in the tail after the Kenny match because they were missing a few players and just struggling. Like I thought they started the game very brightly, Dublin. Um, I thought Ronan Hayes got a good ball, took on Downey, which is exactly what I wanted and uh, forced a good save from Collins. And then they went two points up and I thought Keen Bowling got another great ball and another attack and hand pass to Hayes. I thought Hayes took his eye off the ball a little bit, to be honest, which a defender came out and he just took his eye off the ball and I thought it was a real missed opportunity for a goal and then Cork went up and, and scored two points on the trot. So well, did he pull Dublin it, is, it, is take his eye off the ball a nice way of saying he pulled out of it? A little bit, yeah. Like when I watched it back, the defender looked at the defender, the defender charged out from the goals, but I thought Hayes was it like it was a good ball into him. I thought if he took it, it was either going to be a penal or he would have went by with his the way he was with his momentum and scored a goal. So yeah, he did pull out of it a little bit. I was disappointed because he's a big lad. Now I'm not saying he's a coward, but just on this on this ball in particular, I thought he pulled out a little bit. Yeah, that's those soft city dubs. Uh, <laughs> <Paul to see. laughs> Come here, Kieran, Kieran, Kieran Kingston said after the game, he says, goals win games. I thought this was kind of interesting. He says, goals win games and it gave us a cushion at half time. Sometimes that can be a bad thing. It came just before half time because I felt we were a bit complacent and sloppy in the third quarter and it wouldn't be good enough next week. And like, I mean, it got, got me kind of thinking like that goal did change the complexion of the game. It mm. kind of pushed it out to eight. Does he rip up his halftime team talk then? You know, like, I mean, yeah. I'm trying to understand what he means by that going, you know, instead of ripping into them, does he say, look, lads, you know, it, I don't know. I'm trying to, because I remember Limerick got the two goals before half time, mm. and they didn't exactly spark in the second half. You know, it yeah. almost, do you, would you switch off thinking it's it's kind of done? Yeah, it, I, I thought, um, it, I thought the game dr- just drifted along, really, if I'm honest. And, and something that I, I think this, Dublin will be disappointed in, and something I was disappointed in Dublin was that they never really laid a hand on Cork. You know, they didn't, they, they actually came out after the water break, the second water break, um, in, in for, let's say, the last quarter. And they, they started swarming the Cork lads, which they did for like the first five minutes in, once the ball was thrown in the first half. But they left a big lull and there was a big stage I saw where Cork, if they're looking at it for next week, they should be saying to themselves, this is not the treatment we're going to get when we're going in playing Kilkenny. Because there were one example of the work rate or the lack of work rate that I, th- that I saw that was missing with the Dublin forwards was Coleman got a ball and he was in around the right corner back, right half back position in the first half. It was about 15 minutes in and he caught it and he looked up for a pass and he was kind of standing looking. There was no pass on so he soloed it, caught it again, had a look on, nothing on, soloed it, dropped it to the ground and no Dublin player got to him. And I was going, if that's... None of the other three teams, Waterford, um, Limerick or Kilkenny, would let you do that. So I think Cork would only play who was in front of him. I think if Kieran Kingston was looking at it, he would recognise that Dublin didn't come to the pitch of the game and Cork could only play who were in front of him. So if I was Cork, I'd be going, OK, we, we played well, we got two good goals. But again, even if you go back to Tim Amani's goal, I mean, he ran from the right half-hour position to the edge of the 21 and no one touched yeah. him. Things like that, Cork should be looking at going, if, if, if I was Kieran Kingston saying, okay, we we can only play what's in front of us, but that's not we're not going to get away with that in the semi-final either. Yeah, well the reason he did that, Mick, I'll throw this one to you, is because Liam Rush jumped yeah. in for the kind of Hollywood hit on the, you know, yeah. the lad running through. And you, traditionally you want your centre-back to do that, but I remember being told, I think I was at senior level, no, we didn't we didn't want anyone doing that because that's the easy way out like you'll only get one of those Hollywood hits one out of ten you know and Tim O'Matney's light on his feet the hard thing is to actually put your hands out and, and run with him and try and take the ball off him that's the hard work it's not a crowd pleasing one but I thought Lee Rush jumped in you know as a centre back because now the centre's completely open and it's a goal yeah the time to hit like that Willie's on the sideline where you know there's nowhere the forward can go and if he hits you 
if you hit him, it's grand. If he doesn't, he's over the sideline, it's grand. But that was an open space where he had yeah. space left and right. Rushy just sold himself completely. But annoyed me before that, Robbie O'Flynn got the ball inside his own half and burst through Chris Crummy and Donald Burke. They both had him. They were both either side of him and he burst through the two of them. And we spoke with this last week. There's a difference between bottling them up and they allowed him to get the hand pass off. And it shouldn't happen because they had him They had him in front of him. He got through the two of them and he popped it off to Tim O'Manley. And Tim O'Manley picked that ball up just inside the 65. So it was way out the pitch and no one met him and annoyed me then with the cornerbacks. They sort of minded their own men instead of coming to meet him because at that stage you have to go and meet him. If it gets popped over your head, it's not your fault. Yeah, so give, him a, give, think, give, give him Anthony a decision to make. It, mm. Exactly, exactly. So no one came to meet him. They sort of stayed minding their own men and and it was a simple goal. So um, really frustrating from Dublin because, it, as, as Paul said, in, in sports they worked hard but nowhere near the tempo of the game for championship. What, what would you do in that situation, Paul? Like, I mean, you, you obviously want to, you don't want your own man to score. Mm. But at what point do you go out to him? Because, like, I mean, this is a wing back who might yeah. not be as used to bearing down a goal as a forward. Yeah. Like, I mean, you rush out to him. He could give a loopy hand pass over yeah. your head. Now the goalie comes out and clears it. You yeah. know, yeah. To, to yeah. not go out, to not go out and meet him at all is is technically very bad cornerback play. No. Yeah, it is. And often, you know, I, I've been involved with a few underage teams. Uh, we'd be giving them these situations because often lads would say, "Well, what do we do in this situation where you yeah, have an yeah. overlap?" Like for me, there, there's two things that happen there. Cornerback has to decide when he goes to meet him, but the keeper has to be telling him go like literally making a call anytime we would have done that Owen Murphy would have been shouting literally you see the overlap is coming and Owen Murphy would start going stay 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 and then he'd shout go and once you go running at him then you're hoping just to put him off you're hoping to get there get a block throw your body in front of it clean him out of it if you're going to do anything if you're going to get to him but then Owen Murphy is also standing is he going to wind for a shot and if not the over the man who's on the overlap Owen Murphy is now running to him to hit him so this is something they should know. Like an overlap is going to happen in matches. What are you going to do? But for nobody to come near him, exactly what Mick said, nobody yeah. come near him, worry about your own man. You're just going, yeah, everybody's worried about their own little patch here now. You're not worried about the team as a whole. The bottom line is here, there's not to be using Mick as the fireman here, but you know, the fire bells ringing here, there's a goal on. You have to start running out and hitting lads here now. And if a goal goes in, it goes in, but lay a hand on him at least yeah. and give it a chance. Yeah. You know? He made it too easy. So his poor defending by Rush by rushing in, excuse the pun, and, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, and uh, the cornerbacks technically kind of was pouring up. Don't want to be too hard on Rush because he hit Barrett, young Barrett in the second half fairly well. He got a terrible yellow card, but he put his hands out, you know, and I didn't yeah. think it was a yellow card, but you're not getting past me, you know, a good strong arm like that, Mick. Yeah, and, and that's exactly what was needed that time with him, man. He, well, he look, look, it's difficult when someone's coming at you full tilt, but Rush is strong enough that when he puts the arm out, he gets caught a few times over the years because he is so strong and physical. When he puts that arm out, lads drop and he has got a yellow card in the pass for it. But that's what was needed against him and Manny that time, just to put that big arm out. And even if you drew a free, look, look, it's a free, it's 45 yards out, no harm done. And you're letting lads know you're not going to run through the centre again, centre of the pitch again, where it was the opposite effect happened. Cork said, we're going to attack this all the time. And, and Dublin really struggled with Cork's. I know Cork's forwards are pacey, but... Dublin allowed them way too much space around the middle of the park and it, and it, kill, it killed Dublin. Like Dublin had a spare man, Woolly. And I, it was irritating me from puck outs where the spare man was standing in the centre of the pitch beside centre back. So Rushy and Conor Burke were sort of beside each other. I think one of them should have went to the wing and allowed the, the half back on the other side of the pitch saying, well, the ball has to come over here. I'm going to stand in front because I know there's no way it's going over to the other side of the pitch. I think Dublin missed a beat there where they didn't utilise the spare man well enough. 
Right, okay. And it usually they do utilise the, the, the spare back. Yeah. But there was eight in at half time, Paul. And look, it was a bright start by Dublin. Mm. But the reality is Robbie O'Flynn should have scored a goal. It was a brilliant save by Al Nolan. Uh, Jack O'Connor could have had a goal coming in along the sideline. They scored two goals. Mm. You know, after maybe a bright 10 minutes from Dublin, this was a, a fairly, you know, easy win for Cork. Yeah, yeah, and and they allowed they allowed Cork to grow into the match. Like Seamus Harndy has now put kind of two good games together. But if you look at the points Seamus Harndy got, it, you know his man was standing off him a small bit. It was two puckouts that went you know eighty yards into Seamus Harndy. He turned, took on the man, and over the bar. There were so many things wrong there that you say shouldn't be happening. At least if you're going to be fifty fifty, spoil the ball, let it get to the ground. But if you're playing Cork, you know this is what they want to do. They want to pick out a man from a puckout. They want their forwards to run. And even if you get caught the first time, you should be saying this shouldn't happen the second time. But it kept happening. So you were saying that it really around the pitch, you know, Dublin let so many things happen that it was avoidable that if it happened the first time, they shouldn't let it happen the second time. And like you said, there was more goal opportunities. And considering Dublin started really well, they just went out of the game. It wasn't a case that they were never in the game. They looked, from the, from the moment the ball was thrown in, they looked the sharper team. And I was going, yeah, Dublin are up for this. This is going to be a tough one. And they just drifted out of it completely, forgot what they were about. And the game was over by the time they decided to come back into it. Yeah. Like, I mean, from the positives from Dublin, like Ronan Hayes is a bit of a handful. Now, I, I don't know, I'd say he'd be limited enough. But he had no support any real time, Mick. Like, I mean, when you compare to Desi Hutchinson now, he didn't have support. He had to take on his man. He wasn't that good at it. Down he had his measure. And the only time Keno Sullivan got close to him, he got a handy little hand passing over the bar. You know, like, I mean, you can, you can build a forward line around Hayes. He's not the best hurler in the country, but he'll run the lines. But you need to get up beside him or else, you know, because he has to have that hand pass off. Yeah, and Dublin have struggled with this Woolly this year, I think. Like, when they give the ball in, he does damage and he, he looks threatening. But then they stop for some reason. Like maybe two balls went in early in the game and I said, oh, look, he's caused a bit of trouble here. Then it just stops. And then you see a few clips last night on a Sunday game where like Robbie Downey came out and won a ball in the half-back line. But your full forward shouldn't be out near, near, near the halfway line. You need him winning full forward and causing trouble for goals. He shouldn't be coming out that far. So like the ball's just not going in. And look, I know Trollier's been missing and he's out with a long injury. He's another goal threat that Dublin, I think, need in the full forward line. But they just don't look menacing enough. Like no. They look no. they look like they're holding on. They look like they're holding on to Kenny for a long time. They look like they're just holding on to Cork. They never look like they're going to go ahead and win either game. And it's just something Maddie Kenny really has to work on if he, if he stays now for the next year. It's, it's hard to see work on because even, like, even when they got it back to four, Mm. Just, there was never a feeling they'd get a goal and they, they no. had to get a goal yeah they had to get a goal and it, it was just this thing it just like seemed like a kind of a dying rally like they, they got yeah. a bit of a rally but then Cork were going no we're just going to keep you at arm's distance here now and that's what they did yeah. and, and in fairness to Cork you know that is something they did once they got in front Cork didn't crumble Cork just kept him at arm's distance but no like it, it just seemed that first of all it just seemed too late in the day when the rally came you know and it seemed to be this kind of dying flutter of we got a few points but you never thought that oh Cork are threatened here they didn't look threatened no it's like I mean Dublin from the Cork puckouts, like I mean, they seem to they be man, man marking Cork, and I think that's madness. Like I mean, Cork struggle against Limerick staying in their positions because they don't really know what to do with them. But I think any any team now, Mick, that is following their men around from puckouts, I think it's silly because they're going to pull you where they want where they want you to be. Do you know what I mean? Is yeah, instead of keeping players yeah. in areas to close those areas off. Yeah, and with Cork's pace, Willie, it's not a team that you really want to go man for man, because if you give a lad 20 yards of space to run into, they're going to beat anyone, no matter who you're marking. So, like, I think Dublin missed a beat there. And, and it was the gap between the lines that annoyed me, like, between our half-forward line and Dublin's half-back line. 
there was always 30 yards of space. And that's where the that's where they were finding Harnady and Robbie O'Flynn. And these lads were finding that space. I think Dublin's midfielders got caught up. Obviously, you can't let Dara Fitzgibbon and Luke Mead go, but they just didn't. That's, the spare man was sort of marking nobody in the middle there. And I think if he had taken up one of them spaces, it would allow the rest of the half-back line to defend much easier. And you can't allow their half-forward line just pick up the ball in between your half-forward and half-back line. Because they run at you, you're not going to stop them one-on-one. And that's what happens. Yeah. What, what are the positives for, for Cork then? Like, I mean, they ran up a decent score. I, I, I wouldn't have come out of a game thinking Cork or back or anything like no. that now. Like, I mean, they have a huge test the next day. We won't won't go into that. I suppose Mellerick is a big plus. Like, mm. He did well on Sutcliffe and did yeah. Tim O'Matt. And he did great on Crummy. Crummy wasn't in the game at all. I suppose yeah. they're two pluses. Fitzgibbon hasn't sparked. Mm. Um, I'm not sure their forwards have really sparked. No, no. I, Again, you know, I watched the Sunday game last night and they were very complimentary of, of Cork, but I was kind of thinking, I must have been kind of watching a different game because I felt they didn't do anything that I was going to, let's say, a musical Kenny supporter saying, oh, we're in trouble next week. Now, Cork are always capable of turning up and bringing this electric game. If they do that next week, yeah, but I don't see exactly at the moment where it's coming from. And I also think as well, Tim O'Mahony had a great game, absolutely, at wing back, but I think there's going to be a few more questions asked of him next week against Kilkenny in terms of. Right, so let's say if TJ Reid goes out there or you have Owen Cody out there or whoever, you're going to put someone out there that last questions. And now will Tim O'Malley be too quick to run up the pitch knowing that he's leaving TJ Reid off? So like, these are the questions that I think that Dublin didn't ask of Cork, which allowed Cork to play this sort of a game. And me as a Kilkenny supporter looking at it would go, I'd be happy enough that Cork maybe have the confidence up now thinking we're flying it. You're going, are you flying it? We, you know, The jury's still out on that at the moment. No doubt they have the players. Patrick Horgan is tipping away. He's getting a score. He threatened for a goal yesterday. Went over the bar, um, or sorry, in the weekend on Saturday, but went over the bar. So he's still threatening. But he didn't. Well, rattle the net there. I was surprised. That's what I, I thought. I mean, Jack O'Connor again made his similar runs again. He's the one player I think for Cork that's playing with a bit of an edge. He's threatening this yellow red card the whole time. He got sent off two matches ago. Yellow card the last. Year. He's laying a hand on a few boys, and I think a few more of the Cork lads need to do that a small bit more. Get a bit more physical. Get a bit more in lads faces Kingston had a good game as well but um, no, for me now I'd still be going I'd rather Kilkenny's side of the draw than the other side but I'll put it that way Yeah oh, there's no doubt about that like I mean I remember the big criticism of Cork during the league where they were very tippy tappy and very possession based they're a little bit more direct than that now Mick aren't they? Yeah they are well, yeah. Look, they, look they have dangerous forwards where if you get the ball in quickly they, they'll hurt you like I think Jack O'Connor has been excellent but again, we just didn't learn enough about them. Like that's what irritated about me that game. Like Dublin didn't ask enough questions, so we don't really know too much about Cork at the moment. They they, they were in third gear and they bet Dublin quite handily. So, because, as as Paul said, Kenny won't fear them after watching that, and I don't think any of us have learned a huge amount from them. I was very impressed. I think Tim O'Mahony has been excellent throughout throughout the campaign. And but again, Crummy is you're you're a half back playing half forward, and I think he gets lost in a few games. Crummy's an unbelievable work rate and leader but in the half forward position I think half backs can take advantage of it because he, he, he makes runs that he, and gets into space where he probably shouldn't be and be watching the half back a bit more so again we just we just don't know enough about Cork after that Dublin game Yeah no, probably not Maddie Kenny I'll throw this back to you Mick Maddie Kenny said after a game the more we get exposed to this the better we will deal with it in the future are we making progress of course we are this team is getting better it's getting better every year we just have to go on again, get our heads down and learn from the little mistakes that happened here tonight. Again, a positive spin like most managers um, put on it. What, what's your take on it? From reading that, it's, it sounds like he wants to stay on, that they've made enough progress maybe for him to, to stay there. Yeah, I, th- I, think, I think they should stick with Matty anyway, but 
it hasn't been huge progress, Willie. It's it, it's been a, there has been a little progress, but it's very slow and tedious. And the problem for me is you, the conveyor belt isn't isn't great at the moment in Dublin. So when you're looking for players to come in, it's a little bit worrying. Um, I'd change up. But look, Owner Donald's a huge loss for Dublin and a huge loss for Maddie Kenny. Next year, I'd be looking at him to go out into the half back line, maybe centre back, and just have that athleticism and dominance around the place where he'll hit lads left, right, and centre. He's a great hand. And we just need a few more leaders around the place. I'd have Crummy back and just have a bit more stability in Dublin. We're so inconsistent at the moment where you can go out and look, we've beaten Galway in championship for in the last two years, and they've been huge games. But then you go out and lose to Leash and, and have such the last two performances for Dublin have been so poor. Yeah. So like it's just inconsistency, and he ha- we have to work on it. But I think I definitely stick with Maddie because because of COVID and all years have been broken up. I'd give him a full year at it properly and and see see what we can do. But it's been slow progress. Yeah. He like I mean the Bowl Davy Fitz is floating around there now as a free agent. So like I mean you know it's it's hard. Like I mean have they made progress now? Obviously beating Galway is huge. Mm. Um, Galway have proved that they weren't great. At, like the last two games didn't look like progress to me. No, no, they they went backwards from the performance we saw against Galway. I think everybody was coming away from Crow Park that day going, this Dublin team, whatever they've sorted out or they need to sort, they've done it. And now we're, but they then just went back, they reverted to type again. They just went backwards and we're going, hang on for a second, what you showed us against Galway you're capable of doing and they are capable of doing. Okay, they had the, Owen O'Donnell picked up the injury and they had the COVID situation against Kilkenny. But they didn't stick to at least the, the hard work and the graft and the things they could control. Okay, they were dealt a hard blow, but they could have still very well went out against Cork and against Kilkenny and at least put in a savage effort and no one would have faulted them over that. So the way I look at it at the moment is any time, you know, from 2011 when I, once I started with Kilkenny, we always, not that we fear Dublin, but we always knew we were going to be, you know, it was going to be a savage battle whether he played them in Nolan Park, Crow Park or Parnell Park, you know, the teams Mick would have been on. You always looked at them and said, these lads are a savage team and they're intimidating and they'll get in your face and, the, t- the Dublin team I see at the moment, I don't, you know, when we were going out the last few years looking at them, that wasn't the feeling. Do you know, you were saying right. they're great players and they are capable once they spark, but they're not aggressive. They're not in your face. The you bite know, has gone the out. Bite, the little bit of the bite was gone, where I think that's something that we associate with Dublin teams is that they're aggressive, they're hard running. They nearly invented this hard physical running that we didn't see in other teams. They were the, they were the team, I think, that brought this to the table. And I think, if anything, they've gone backwards now that... They're not sticking. They're probably trying to play a two nice hurling at the moment instead of going, you know, get into teams' faces. We're full of confidence. Use it. Get up in lads' faces. Let teams know we're here. I think they've gone back a small bit, regardless whether it's under Matty Kenny or not. They've gone back a small bit in their, yeah. in their ways. Is is there an argument to say that the modern, the new modern style of hurling doesn't suit Tip, doesn't suit Dublin? You know, mightn't suit more. Maybe even Kilkenny were mm. struggling to adapt to it or getting there. Mm. At least they they they're showing people that they can change yeah, around yeah. but you know the teams that are, are used to that maybe more of a traditional style of hurling are are struggling to get to grips with the Liam Cal styles and you know the new Davy Fitz or Davy's not too new now um, Limerick which have a lot of football influence um, from Canark you know is, is, is there an argument to say that? Uh, well, like it's tough, Willie, because three years ago, if you had told me this was the style of hurling that was being played, I would have been over the moon because Maddie Kenny played this style of cooler before really anyone else was doing it. Like he loves the running off the shoulder. Like I've played against that cooler team so many times, and they were relentless for running up the pitch. That support play, that off the shoulder. So this is Maddie Kenny's bread and butter. Like this is the game plan Maddie Kenny had at club level. So I was so excited to see when he came to Dublin how he'd implement it, and he hasn't. And that's been played. 
as you said, by all the top teams now, Waterford and Limerick. And I don't see why Dublin aren't playing it because he knows how to play it. He knows how to manage it. And again, I just think it's getting the personnel into them positions. Your two halfbacks have to be ultimate athletes and being able to get up and down that pitch. And again, I just think with a bit of personnel change, like if you have Crummy there and, and Dara Gray's been excellent for Dublin this year and he gets up and gets two or three points a game, there's two athletes on either wings that aren't there at the moment, aren't being played there. And I just think he's trying to cover up cracks throughout the pitch with our best players. So you're moved, you haven't got our best players in our best positions. And that's what's hurting Dublin at the moment. But like, he is the man to do that because like, that, this was his game plan. This was, he, he did this before anyone else was doing it at club level, you know. So I think if he works in it throughout the summer and he, he goes back to where, what he does best and playing that game plan, we might see a limited better next year. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Performance of the weekend, lads. Um, Tim O'Matney, I suppose, won one. Like, I mean, listen, you can criticise Liam Rush or the Dublin defence. It was still a great sidestep to mm. Rush and it was a, a lovely finish as well and, and a point and all-action performance. But that's the type of player he is, Paul. And yeah. I suppose because he's so all-action, you're wondering where's his best position. I think that wing-back is his best position. Yeah, I think this this new wing-back position is his best yeah, position. Yeah. It is allowing him to attack up the field. But he kind of... Um, I saw There was great leadership out of him as well where there was a puck out there towards the end of the match. He caught it. He took a hard tackle off Danny Sutliff and it actually rose the, the, the car crowd which was something you know they, they, they do need you know they do need the crowd or they do need I suppose to, to make these gestures for the crowd to get behind them and Cork will always kind of get their back up then and they'll play that bit better but you know he wasn't just doing the nice stuff of putting the ball over the bar he was putting in hard tackles and he was winning the ball winning high balls as well so in fairness to him no great performance you know um, and, and definitely one of the big leaders for Cork going forward Yeah definitely Donald Burke um, he was one of the bright uh, sparks I suppose or, or bright points um, for Dublin he got five from play like Dublin need another two of Donald Burke that's the reality of it here they need Donald Burke plus two more of him yeah he, like he's the out ball all the time Willie and look he's had a fantastic year I think next year be a bit more difficult because lads be wide to how good he is and he won't get that space that he's been given this year but he, he's been excellent for Dublin all year and again you just need if he's going to be marked you need other Dublin lads to stand up um, at the moment it's just not happening Yeah Jack O'Connor like I mean can you believe I, I think I was reading this fella didn't get on the under 21 team when he was there that he like he is very predictable yeah. but he's still very hard to stop and the crowd, Cork crowd love him now he's yeah. almost become like I'll never forget I was down at the the Cork Clare was it a Munster final it could have mm. been a Munster final in Turles and uh Jeez, the crowd loved Horgan. Hoggy was everything. Hoggy, like, I mean, Jack O'Connor could be taken over from Hoggy here yeah. because, listen, the reality is when he gets the ball in his hand, you'll probably will stand up. Yeah, yeah. And he reminds me much of the, the Colin Nocton role that he used to yeah, have for Cork. similar run about Get the ball and straight away the crowd are shouting run because he is electric <laughs> and he's huge pace. And why wouldn't you run the defence every time you can do that, like, you know, with the pace he has? And he has a bit of a, a bit of an edge to him as well. You know, he's not afraid to mix it with lads. He seems to, I said it earlier about getting the yellow card and the red card. He does play on the edge which you know happy days you have a forward in there that's going to put it up to a corner back inside but yeah it does have this 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 the it's like looking back at the old Cahill Nocton of getting the ball and he was turning running and the crowd, the car crowd were standing on their feet so he has this sort of uh, this crowd um this crowd pleasing sort of aspect to yeah. him yeah no yeah. he does and like would one criticism of him make I'm just throwing this out there like cuz he takes you on the outside the whole time he finds himself running in along the end line a lot mm. at a bad angle now we tried an overhead smash like I mean I'm sure the degree of difficulty on that now must be off the charts to be you know yeah. to to lose it even maybe in your eye but is he afraid to step back in the field because he's so small and light that you know he when he gets away from the contact he doesn't want to ever risk getting more I don't no, know I don't think, I don't think- 
I don't think he's a bar of fear in a mully. But no, I don't I think, think it's think fear. It's, I just don't think that. Yeah. I, do, I just think his pace, like not many people can take you on the outside all the time because you can have that straight angle back to the goals, but no defender seems to be able to stick with him. But I, I think it will come with a bit of experience that when he, if he does take you on the outside, he'll cut across you more and either get the foul, corner back on no chance to foul you, or he'll cut across inside and make a bigger angle on goals. Um, look, that will come with experience, but with his pace and his confidence, I love the way he loves contact. I love the way he loves taking someone on. So I think in, in the next two games and the next year or two, we'll see him scoring way more goals because he'll just have that bit of experience to cut across a defender and either take the foul or open up the goals for himself. Is, is, that the, is that the thing, Paul? Like, I mean, I presume at that angle, you'd be mm. almost like, geez, you know, you know he, he puts a few in the side net and he puts a few, yeah. you know, like, yeah. I mean, what, what's, what does he need to improve on there to, to from a corner forward's perspective? I think it goes back to what we're saying about Desi Hutchinson. Do something he's not expecting. Like, this is what we're expecting each time. So he's keeping him out towards the end line very hard angle to score. If you even just squared it back across, then you're causing problems because don't ha- you don't have to go for a goal every time. I think there was one or two Cork lads. They might the pass mightn't have been on, but there was lads available around the fourteen that he might have even said flick it back across and let them have a shot because, like you said, you're batting the ball with a very hard angle to try and get it in. Yeah. So I think we're going back to what we're saying, like with Desi Hutchinson, do something they're not expecting. Maybe cut back inside and go straight for goal as opposed to going right around him. You have the pace, so why not run directly at goal? So he maybe just has to add a few more strings to his bow and have the cornerback going, right, I know he's electric, but he also might just take a step back and knock, knock it over the bar and have the have the cornerback guessing. Yeah, or give it to a runner, Mick, maybe once. And now the cornerback's wondering, what's he doing? And I do find, like, I mean, predictable players, they'll eventually get found. I know it's kind of his first year, but if he keeps doing what he's doing, I know he's fast. Someone will meet him, or someone will, you know, yeah. or they, they'll cut the angle off quicker. You know, I suppose in your first season when you're, I know, I don't think it's his exact first, maybe first season starting every game. I can't see that being long term, uh, you know, tactic of attacking every time. Yeah, you're right, Willie. Like as positive, if you tor- if you make you question yourself as a defender, like if he turns inside once and then pulls up all of a sudden. You mightn't be going that full tilt the next time because you're expecting that turn and then he could leave you for dead and cut inside and make the angle easier for himself. So, look, he, he will. He's going to learn. It's experience and he's playing so well in championship as it is. So, he's only going to get better. And with Hoggy beside him and, and other class players, Harndy, like they'll be in his ear telling them to cut inside, pop the ball in, make him question themselves. And it'll make his work a lot easier then down the line. Yeah, definitely. want to give a shout out to Offaly lads who won the Christie Ring. 41 points. Holy shit. Uh, people aren't sure People aren't sure if it's a record or not. Like, yeah. I mean, I'd say surely it is. I haven't surely. seen it. Surely. Yeah, it must be a record. Yeah, great win for him. And 41 points, it was uh, a yeah, remarkable score. And it seems strange just to say it, 41 points in a game. But um, no, it's brilliant. Look, again, they're in Joe McDonough for next year. But again, it's not It's not somewhere Offaly want to be. They'll be targeting again going towards Ian McCarthy. And, that mixed with the you know the footballers and the under twenties that there's kind of a feel good factor back in in Offaly at the moment and they deserve credit and I'll I suppose give the shout out to my Kilkenny ex teammates yeah. as well who are doing the work down there but um no it's it's great again even the back in the Shane Lowry Michael Dignan as chairman there seems to be a good vibe in Offaly which we all want to see you know Offaly are a great GA county not just hurling but also football. So, um, you know, great win for them yesterday. Something to celebrate after a few years of, of, of not having a trophy down there. Yeah, exactly. And they'll probably come in favourites to win the Joe McDonnell along with Antrim next year. You know, shows the level. Ra- I suppose Michael Fenley in his interviews, I didn't hear any of his interviews. They say, we've a lot to work on next year now. We didn't score any goals. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you can imagine. No, it's good, Willie, because only a few years ago, the amount of doom and gloom coming out of Offaly was incredible. And like, they were really a county in trouble. And like Michael Fenley, Michael Duggan, they've done a fantastic job and I love the positivity coming out of the county now. I know 
I know they're going to be looking higher than the McDonough, but one step at a time, and and it's it's huge progress in the county. And I I love to see it. I love to hear it because they're a great hurling county. Yeah, exactly. Nicky Rackard Cup won by Mayo. Keith Higgins got mm. to climb the yeah. Hogan Sands. You won't be able to relate to this. Six <laughs> All Ireland finals he's lost. Yeah, yeah. Football finals, and he climbed the Hogan the Hogan Stand yeah. steps as captain. Yeah. Um, scored seven points, five from play. Played corner forward and was all over the field. I think yeah. he won a penalty as well. Like I mean you'd need a heart of stone not to feel feel good for Keith Higgins yeah yeah he's a great fella um, been lucky enough to meet him a few times and just real down to earth lad and again no one would have begrudged him if he went off into the sunset after retiring with the Mayo footballers but to turn around it shows his genuine love for Hurland that he turned around and yeah look it's not we're all after saying it, it's not the cup he wanted to win and I couldn't get over I knew obviously he'd lost um, as everyone knows I lost all Ireland's with Mayo but I couldn't get over it was six. When I saw it, it was six, I was going, Jesus, that's some heartbreak for a fella not to have done it. But, you know, it's it's a great testament to the man that he got to lift the cup yesterday. Like you said, great contribution with seven points as well. Um, so, look, it's it's brilliant. It's a great story from the weekend for Keith Higgins to, to be lifting finally up to Hogan's stand, lifting a trophy. Yeah, no, it definitely is. And the Laurie Marr was won by Fermanagh. So I was up in Bundoran about a month ago and uh, a fella from Fermanagh, Rory O'Donnell, came over to me. He was involved with the Fermanagh team and he loved the podcast. And remember we were talking, Paul, in here about pushing a man up on the sweeper and you mm. were dead against that. And then mm. I spoke about it the following Thursday and Connell Keeney said, I'd like to see that someday. And he was yeah. saying, I love that chat because Cavan play a sweeper. Yeah. And we're not sure now we might push a lad up on him. And <laughs> yeah, we yeah. were talking about it for ages. And yeah. he says, I love that kind of a chat. And he was mad passionate into hurling. Yeah. And they went out and they lost to Cavan then the following weekend. And did um, they push him on up? In, yeah. the, in the group game. I don't know. So I'm hoping, I'm hoping they didn't. Well, we'll never know. This could be the we'll definitive never, answer. Well, we need to get him on here. We need to find out. Because myself and Conal Keeney, one of us has to be right. So. <laughs> because they, go, they, they, they lost to Cavan then the following weekend. And it was mad looking for the result. And then destroyed Cavan in the final. So we, yeah. they might have tried one one day and lost. And won one day and won. We need to find this out, out this answer. I'll be asking. Are uh, you taking Rory. the credit here, Will? <laughs> well, no, listen, I'm, I'm kind of on for trying pushing it up on it, but I'm interested in those yeah, conversations. So, uh, we could have the definitive answer here. I'll have, it for, I'll have it for Thursday. I'll you, have were, the, you had a hurling workshop in, up in Bundoran <laughs> a few weeks ago, is what you're telling us. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I had a good few cans on board, so I don't know how... <laughs> yeah, I'd say, I'd say you were quiet then. <laughs> <laughs> right, lads, we leave it there. Congratulations to Fermanagh, Mayo and Offaly in, in those matches as well. So we'll leave it there. We'll be back on Thursday. Huge games next weekend. All-Ireland semi-finals. I'd love an extra week for them, lads. Wouldn't you? Yeah. Too much coming on the back. Give us a week to breathe. <laughs> <laughs> but anyways, they're not giving it to us. So we'll be back on Thursday and we'll preview the semi-finals. So we'll talk to you all then. Good luck. No such thing as a media ban. We don't have a media ban. Ah, you do. No, we don't. A donkey eat and a donkey eat a palace. <laughs> he was massive. <laughs> Legs, ass, spin. But I bust out laughing. <laughs> <laughs>